Oh, hello. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. On this happy spring day in early February. <laughs> yeah, it does seem that way, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's confusing for my body. <laughs> okay. Um, fun Say more fact, about that. <laughs> I just went. Well, I just went to the dentist, uh, which I love. And whenever I'm in the dentist, it is always a come to Jesus moment about my yoga practice. <laughs> because if I am practicing regularly, especially um, like making sure I have time for some daily meditation, my uh, dental checkups go so swimmingly. Because I get, I get like, I mean, no, the dentist is what it is. I understand it's like this for most human beings. But like, I need to be explicitly told what's about to go in my mouth at any point in time. You know? And <laughs> not all technicians are like, you know, up on that. They're just like doing what they're doing. But, you know, I got paired with a very... uh kind lady and she you know I actually never let them do certain things like I just struggle with certain yeah things and uh, I let her do all kinds of things I never let people do and I realized it was because I had just come off of um you know a weekend restorative <laughs> teacher training and to you know I was leading it which is always very different than taking it but I was I was overcome in the world of restorative yeah. yoga. So I was coming at it from this like much more spacious, resilient and buoyant place to be able to allow this woman into my mouth in the way that I did. Um, and then, <laughs> and then the universe like, hey, Kate, you know what you're probably going to need before you turn 40? Before you turn 40? We're going to need to go on into your mouth, cut out some of the skin, and slap it over the teeth. That's okay, right? And I was like, you know what? I oh, guess. you need a gum graft? <laughs> oh, my God. I called my mom immediately and was like, how old were you when you needed your gum graft? She was like, I was in my 60s. I threw myself into traffic. Oh, my God. I had a gum graft when I was really young. No way! Yeah. After braces? Uh, I did have braces, but it wasn't immediately after braces. But I've always had more... Um, like, I'm not one, knock on wood, who has ever had cavities, but I have gum issues. <gasps> Interesting. And yeah. did they give you drugs to help with the pain? Or after the graft? Yeah. Uh, I think so. And did it stick? Like, have you had yeah. to deal with it since? It... No, it, it. I haven't had to deal with it since. No, I've had to have a few rounds of like the the like deep cleaning, but I haven't had to deal with it since. <gasps> Knock on wood. I'm so glad I brought it up. I'm so comforted that you've been through this because it's to me this is like this is this is terrifying. This is. Unwelcome news. This is You're going to be fine. <laughs> okay. I mean, be, like, I, I, I vaguely remember having to, like, eat soft foods for a good long while. 
but uh, yeah, it was fine. Um, okay, that's all I'm good. Glad to know. we got that out of the way. <laughs> good night, everybody. Good. That's it. Um, yeah, so I find that uh, because I am coming off the heels of a you know weekend sort of dedicated to slowly looking at slowing down, I'm I'm in a I'm in a good place, tired but a good place because of it. Um, what about you? How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I have um, just had a long morning of teaching, so I'm kind of coming down from that. Um, and then I have a long evening of clinic ahead of me, so, you know, we'll see how that goes. (laughs) And, you know, I've, we haven't gotten to talk about this much, but I, I've been curious. How have you noticed, let me reframe that. Have you noticed any shifts in teaching and or practice now that you're farther along uh, in the program, um, massage therapy. Uh, I mean, in practice, yes. Uh, mostly because um, well, for a couple of reasons. One, um, I feel like I've wanted to and potentially had to sit more. Um, Like my, as as a proportion of practice, uh, seated meditation practice has has been higher of late. Um, And I do associate some of that with the fact that like with the fact that my I'm like hands on so many humans in the course of a week um then there's also uh the just like things that I find myself doing to work with the kind of um I don't really even think of that. They're not, it's, nothing's been like painful from doing all of the work, but there's certainly been uh, uh, areas of the body that are fatigued and like, you know, there is a lot of, you know, as much as there's a lot of pushing in, in yoga practice, if you're doing manual work, there's a lot <laughs> of pushing. And so to try and sort of reverse those uh, or balance out those actions um i found myself doing more things specific to that but nothing i feel like when a lot of people go on that rant they just like i I don't know (laughs) How, how much pulling action do you really need how much pushing action do you really need like it's more to me about perceiving like oh, there's a contraction pattern here and it might have something to do with the fact that, you know, I have changed what I'm doing with my body 
and um, there might need to be some other things that, that I need to do in order to, you know, relieve the discomfort that comes from, from those particular contraction patterns. And also it's like, I'm still figuring out how exactly to move my body efficiently doing this much work, this much manual work over the course mm-hmm. of, or over the course of a week. So I, it's not something that I like freak out about. It's more that like, Oh, okay. Now that clearly I'm overusing this thing. And so let me then see if I can compensate in a different way. And, and, and so there's a lot of interesting things in that, in that regard. Um, and, uh, trying to think what else, um, having your hands on so many different types of people, I imagine. Uh, I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say so many different types of people, but yeah, you know, fairly, um, uh, broad, fairly broad range of population represented in the folks that come into clinic more than I necessarily thought actually, um, there would be, (coughs) and, uh, you know, some of that is just that like, um, uh, there's, um, Like there, there can be a lot of conversation within the context of the training about like um, people will talk about energy in a way like someone else's energy is something like you need to protect yourself from. And I oh my God, yeah, find that whole conversation to be dumb because if I'm framing it as protecting myself, um, then what I'm saying is that there's a part of the experience that I am like not being sensitive to. Like there is a way to talk about it. That's not like, ew, I don't want to like, essentially pick up someone's like energetic cooties <laughs> toxins yeah, yeah like it, toxics their neediness their toxics <clears throat> and to just be like no i'm gonna i'm putting my hands on another human being and you know you're going to feel and perceive things and you need to be as as open as you can in order to be sensitive to what you're feeling both in terms of the physical body and in terms of like their reaction to what you're doing and and what's going on um on more subtle layers if that's something that you choose to choose to think about and um uh If I'm practicing, if I'm sitting, if I'm, you know, even marginally taking care of myself from 
a practice point of view, then I don't feel the need to like protect myself. And and honestly, if there was someone that came in and I was like, oh, I got to be careful. I don't necessarily want to work on this person. Then I would say, hey, I'm not working on this person. Like, I don't, I'm not going to work on this person. Well, how do you handle that, though, if you're working someplace where you don't get to filter who comes in? Um, well, I don't, I don't know that you do, but I, and I understand that some people have to put themselves in that, in that situation, but I, they're very clear that if, like, something feels, like, off in the context of clinic, like, we can just say, hey, sorry, I can't. Because it's, a, I mean, just okay, as much good. as they're they're consenting to be on a massage table with a quote unquote student, we're consenting to. And there's been some I've seen some stuff go down in 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 clinic that where I was like, well, I would I would have ended the I would have ended the massage right there. Like, I can't really share because I can't really share. But like, there's been stuff that I've seen on other people's like it, like across the room or something like that. Where I'm like, yeah, I would have ended that. Whoa. Yeah. Someone was making creepy noises, weren't they? Uh, well, the creepy noises is one, one thing, but it's, it's more the like, it, it's other stuff. Um, and it's a little weird because, you know, we, we do have to, we do have to do, um, it does have to, be, it, we do have to follow the routine and sometimes people want very specific stuff and um even if we know how to do that stuff we still have to do it within the context of the routine um so so there can be you know and if someone's wanting to basically get like beaten up like in a deep tissue type of way like i have had to be like you know this there's other places to go get deep tissue work. This is a student clinic. Like I'm not, I'm only going to give you as much pressure as I can give and as much pressure as I, I feel is appropriate. And sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I didn't say sorry, but like <laughs> that, that's what, you know, um, the, it, it's a tricky, it can be tricky, but like nine, I would say, Nine out of nine, ninety percent of the time, it, it's very smooth, and and people are grateful to come in and get a massage that's less than market <laughs> value, um, and uh, yeah, um, I'm still pretty sure that that's not the what I'm doing in clinic is not necessarily the work that I'm going to do once I'm out of clinic. Um, cause I just find it to be unnecessary, like f for 90% of the things that I'm doing, like I don't need someone to be un unclothed under a sheet with all of the like draping and, and everything. Like, um, I just don't find that that's necessary. And, and uh, that's also my bias because like 90% of the manual work that I've received is clothes. Um, it's not in like a typical massage environment. Um, so, um, so yeah, I don't know, but, um, I, I can't say that it's had, 
apart from those two things I mentioned, um, and apart from like the time commitment, hasn't really had like huge shift in in practice um, or in teaching for that matter. Hmm. You got me thinking about the um, clothing. The clothing thing for massage. Um, I don't know. I just need to make time to come visit and see what you're up to. Anytime. Got some times this evening if you want to swing by. I really, really do. <laughs> um, so uh, you've been doing a lot of a lot of teacher training. I <laughs> love it. I, transitions. Yeah, I love it. I I love the transmission. I love storytelling. I like talking to folks about shit I believe in. Um, you know, I think the more I have the opportunity to do it, the more, um, I realize I, I, I enjoy doing it. Um, and also the more every, with every event or training or session that, that passes, I'm also more and more aware of you know how big that how much work that can be and you know talking about ener energy um i always think oh it'll be fine uh if right afterwards i do x y and z <laughs> <laughs> you know like if i schedule yeah. some of my other work to happen you know after a couple hours after i get home i can bang that out or even the next day. Um, so I think the thing I'm learning is that it's very important for larger energy tasks like that to also incorporate into the schedule buffer time, uh, but both before and after. And yeah. not to be tacky, because it is always tacky to discuss this portion, but that needs to also be factored in to what we think about pay. Sure. You know, so sure you can lead a, you know, an eight hour thing, but you shouldn't think of it as eight hours of work. You should think of it as eight hours of work plus prep time, plus the time of cost opportunity that it takes you to recover from said thing. Yeah. Um, which I've never been comfortable factoring into anything. But as I get older and as I get more experienced with things, the more comfortable I do feel trying to at least partially factor in those types of variables, um, which is why I, I still stand by the, the old thing we've been talking about forever, about how for me it always has been the right fit to not teach full time and only to, you know, 
Like yeah. having other sources of income has made it so that this algorithm hasn't become crushing. And it still is disappointing to me at times, the conversations that have to be had about the value of respecting somebody else's time. Yeah. I'm, I'm still disappointed with the, with the yoga community, you know, collectively on shaming people for, <laughs> for, you know, just wanting to be paid for working. Yeah. Um, but you know, we can only make choices on our own behalf and talk to each other about it. But I also don't know. Like there, there is the conversation about how teachers are compensated for time, and yes, I agree. How teachers are shamed for negotiating and asking for more money, which is actually the. Uh, the benefit of the corporate model is that um, the expectation that people are going to negotiate for what they feel is um, appropriate compensation is there and it's not seen as a um, uh, something that's you know not yogic quote unquote um, I totally lost my train of thought. Where was I going with that? <laughs> um, oh, uh, I also still... Uh, like, I, I don't... I don't know how you... Part of me feels like it comes down to the fact that we're trying to figure out how to have yoga within the context of capitalism and no matter what you do it's it's never going to work out never no it's not cuz because you can't you can't commit yourself full time to to teaching yoga because it's because not only do you know it's not going to pay enough but you know it's going to come with a level of exhaustion that's not that is antithetical to the value of yoga as you see it is that not accurate yeah i think the onus of class numbers yeah. and and uh popularity of ideas yeah. and personality um means you're in a perpetual state of oh man you're never tenured, you know, you never get to arrive into the fullness of your intellectual capacity as an instructor. Yeah. Because you are always chasing a next number, thing. Yeah. the next thing, and you're at the mercy of the whims of trend. Yeah. And so I don't have to do that when I get my income elsewhere, when I get my, when I can at least put food on the table elsewhere, okay. then anything that comes from yoga gets to be I get to have freedom yeah. and joy and I'm still invested in it I still want to make money doing it but I I know I don't have to live in fear around it which no matter what anybody says to me I will I don't know anyone that teaches full time 
that doesn't have other income streams that are reliable and usually have one foot semi outside yeah. of the industry that are not at the whim of those forces that I see as inherently counterproductive to what I see yoga as. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in agreement. I just had to say it out loud and walk my, my head. <laughs> you know, and a lot of the teachers that are teaching full time, they, you know, they have their foot in another field, it, whether that's, you know, um, a therapy of some sort. So it's aligned. Yeah. It's aligned or it's parallel in some way. It can inform, but I don't know. I'm, I know that there are teachers that do it. I'm yeah. sure there are, but there just aren't that many that are doing it. Um, but it's also, uh, you know, it, it, one way or another, it gets like the the need to sell what you're doing gets in the way of the yoga. Like, even if you were to do it as skillfully as possible, I do think that there will be some fundamental thing that's lost in the selling of it. Which is not to say that we shouldn't do it. It's just we need to be aware that there's something that's lost in the selling of it. Mm. Yeah. I, um, small pivot. I was in class the other day and actually this happened a couple times. I was taking class, somebody's class and there's a mother daughter dyad in the room. The little girl must've been, I would guess like 10. Mm -hmm. And then I don't know if it was the same pair no I think it was a different one but the same kind of thing it was a mother and a 10 year old in my classroom my slow flow and I realized like it was changing the way I taught the whole room and I think for the better you know I'm not sure I know what you mean so here's here's why when I am operating under the assumption that everybody in the room is over 18. Yes. The way I use language is different. Sure. <laughs> when I know there's like a baby in the room, I present shapes differently. Not so differently that someone would be like, that was weird. That was not a Kate class. But like, I think it I think it real reined me in in a way. Like there are sometimes I'll go I find myself getting real chatty in class, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Shocker. Um but having to pivot your class, not you know, to 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 hold to be still digestible for a ten year old. Yeah. has forced me to edit in a way that I thought was actually kind of useful for adults. <laughs> yeah. Because I think that, I think kids understand a lot more than we give them credit for. Uh-huh. But they also don't need... 
maybe they don't need to hear some of the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> the the perverse language. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I still got I still found myself in an analogy about what if some billionaire from a in I said Paris paid you to be a table and all of a sudden I was like, "Oh god, you're talking about a sex thing. Stop it." <laughs> <laughs> like locked eyes with the mother and I'm like, "Sorry. This is Here we are. Here we are." <laughs> Oh, I forced some conversations prematurely in that family, but. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So how's it, how, so how has it been um, doing the trainings with, with other, other folks? Oh, I love it. I love it. It's so strange. And you know, there's, um, there are things that make it wonderful and things that make it challenging. But philosophically, I, for, for trainings, I like, I, okay. So I like the presentation of multiple ideas that often conflict. I think it's valuable, but I think the thing that's impossible to do is to ever equally assert that all of them hold the same weight, you know? So like, no matter what, it's a, you know, if, if it's a, if an alternative viewpoint is presented as a cameo, it is presented, uh, in a subservient position. Sure. So I struggle with that. And when I say struggle, I don't mean I wish to change, but I just notice that that's what, you know, I'm up against sometimes in a classroom setting is because the real estate is smaller. Yeah. You know, I am up against I have more obstacles to overcome to find you know, I have to do a lot of work in a short amount of time. Yeah. It is is the takeaway and I love that challenge. I do. I it's it's fun for me, but I do think that um it's a step in the right direction. But it's not, it's, you know, there is no perfect solution. I, I do think, though, that moving towards diversity of viewpoints is crucial. And I got to do this very exciting thing for the 300 hour where we all taught together um, to meet the new class and for the class to meet us and to be in the room with teachers that, you know, I respect and admire, but yeah, I haven't practiced with for in forever in some of them. Um, you know, I, in some of them I had never seen practice, so we were all co-teaching and it was, you know, it, it worked and it was interesting and it was nice to be thrown into something where we all had to work off of each other. Um, and I wish that there were more opportunities for for teachers to see what other teachers are doing in that way and then have conversations about it. Did you actually have conversations about it or no? Oh, afterwards, some short ones for sure. Yeah. Um, and 
I feel like I, I walked, you know, I was nervous about it, you know, and some teachers that have been teaching, you know, for exponentially longer than me were nervous too, because we're all human and the energy of that kind of thing can do that. And, uh, but, I just hate know, that kind of thing. So that's where the nervousness comes from. Oh yeah. There's totally. nothing worse than, than doing like a big co-teaching thing, especially when it's like marked with some sort of prestige, like, like when Fez and I do it, it's fine, but we're also working off the same context for practice. Yeah, and which Nicole is not to say and I—we don't agree, we don't disagree on things, but you have more of a shared vocabulary. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when Nicole and I teach together, you know, Nicole and I don't agree on everything at all, but we have this shared. Well, we have a, a relationship, and B, um, you know, we have a friendship to pull from, and we can we speak the same vocabulary and ultimately the value system yeah is the same and so when the details we don't agree on are there they're just not an issue you know yeah. but when you're teaching with uh groups from farther flung yeah areas you know you end up with well i don't know what your value structure is when it comes to the transmission of asana to a human yeah. body um but i did get to have a short conversation where you know i one of the teachers mentioned, oh, you know, I, it turns out I'm a lot more traditional than I originally thought I was. And I was like, yeah. And then I thought, <laughs> well, what is that tradition though? You know, like even yeah. that is like, well, I'm closer to the bone than you are. <laughs> and then I'm like, well, what skeleton are we talking about here? Who have we unearthed? <laughs> well, that's, what, I mean, I, I really, really am, am a, a big fan of, subbing the word typical in for traditional um uh you know or even or even historical like historically the influences were mr Iyengar and and patabi joyce and and there were a certain um habits and biases and 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 uh understandings that exist uh, from those influences and you know some of them are really wonderful and others are just haven't borne out to be true or haven't borne out to be useful I should say for for me and for hundreds of you know thousands of other folks too um, uh but I think part of that is because there needs to be a complete shift in context. Like the reason why I find like exercises like that to be so um, annoying, both as a teacher and as a student, is that it's beating around the bush of like, oh, not only is like the value system not there, but like n nobody here is actually clear on what they're trying to teach. Like that's what it unearths. Like they're trying to teach maybe like little, you know, even if they're trying to teach a pose, then it's clear that nobody's on the same page as 
to why that pose is important, other than perhaps that they were told that it was important by somebody. See, I see it as like, uh, hi, hi. If I say hello and we're all sitting in a circle, that's one thing. But if I say hello in the context of teaching a zygote, <laughs> that is more information. That is different information. How a teacher responds to what another teacher has done before them is interesting information. I know. I can... absolutely agree that it's it's like I understand why why I understand why it's done. But my takeaway from it is always what is needed here is a conversation about context um, um, because people can talk around the bush about what the lumbar spine is supposed to be doing and what the hands are supposed to be doing and what the eyes are supposed to be doing and what the but it's all wrapped around supposed to um, and anybody that's not doing it's supposed to be this way is seen as an alternative to the quote unquote traditional. Yeah. To the correct. Yeah. And there is something to be said for like learning vocabulary, but like the vocabulary can both be the typical postures that are taught within the context of Hatha yoga and just this this sort of simple truth about how the body can move like there's a limited number of things that your knee joint can do and that dictates the choices that you have in warrior one and you know the second there's a this is the right way as opposed to and this is, I, I used to always get in trouble when I was a younger teacher for saying, like, I would like you to straighten your back leg. And people said, like, that's really egotistical. And I'm like, no, it's... And, and the first time that I ever heard someone say that it was okay was with Judith Lasseter. Because she was like, no, I would like you to do it this way. Here are my reasons why I'd like you to do it this way. You don't ever have to do it this way ever again. But I would like you to do it this way. And I think that there's, you know, there's still a directiveness to that, which, you know, maybe people can question and maybe, you know, needs to be examined. But at least it's like clear on what the context is. is there's a human being asking another human being to move their body in a particular way. And, you know, if, if there is a clear enough agreement that like what the, the context of the classroom is, then the person has the right to just be like, either I'm not going to do that or I probably shouldn't be in this class if you really need me to do it this way in order for it to be correct. Um, oh, so that's interesting. Like, I, 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 the way I've been dealing with that is rather than giving infinite options because you're allowed to, where I, I do have, I think it is important to display that from time to time as a larger agency reminding thought piece. Um, I'll be like, for this warrior two for tonight. Yeah. I like to isolate shapes, be like, no, no, no. Cause it, it, it is, it's a different yeah. one tonight than it will be tomorrow. So for this one, why don't we try bending the knee more? Yeah. Let's just see, you know, and then 
I don't know. I think some people read that as, depending on how carefully one words it, can read it as um, lack of orientation. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I've also been finding now that I'm teaching in all of these other studios that, like, and, you know, we'll see as as things unfold, like, if I give clear context at the beginning of class, most of the people are willing to go along for the ride. If I don't give context, <laughs> it's a shit show. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm asking them to do things that are not typical to them, that are not familiar to them. Um, And so, but it's been interesting because my initial thought was that I would have to go into these other studios and and sort of uh, put on the facade of a vinyasa flow class in order to bring people along for the ride. But I quickly discovered that like, I, I've lost that skill. It's gone. Yes. It has disappeared. <laughs> yes. It is, it is, it's so disingenuous at this point for me to try to make a flow class happen that people are like, this is bullshit. So Stop I might it. as well. Stop it right now. <laughs> so I might as well roll, have everyone roll around on the floor. And I had everybody in uh, um, uh, over at Boston Yoga Union this morning doing the walking around the room and, and like pausing in Warrior One and doing all sorts of weird stuff and then walking around the room again some more and then pausing and then walking and fixing their eyes on different points of the room and like it's just like if I give enough context and it doesn't need to be lengthy context but if I give context in a succinct way yep. the, it, people are willing to go along for the ride because at least they know that like okay this is going to be different or just that they're open to it not being a typical yoga class as they see see it i think is more is it a more accurate way and and i and i also want to give people the opportunity to be like if this is not i never say this but like i try to let the subtext be like not only if this doesn't work for you, you don't have to come back to class. I totally understand this is not for everybody, but also like if this sounds horrible, you you should leave. <laughs> like if this if you're already rolling your eyes, like <laughs> I'm not offended if you don't want to be here. Like <laughs> it's fine. This is not this is not a hostage situation. <laughs> Do you? have a class description that does any of that work for you nope (laughs) and it's fine because honestly who reads class descriptions and and, everyone lots of people and then we get into the whole naming convention thing and i don't i refuse if i have to have that conversation one more time with someone i will jump out a window um I I know. i think there needs to be for a class I, i think having like hints Hints either in the form of the teacher's bio or hints from the class description, I think is useful because it can be awkward to be like, well, for example, on the, like if I walked in, that would be a pleasant surprise. If the teacher was like, we're going to walk around and then we're going to randomly like, you know, we're going to look at our pinky toe. Yep. We're going to feel our urethra. (laughs) And then we're not doing 
Malasana. Okay, everybody lay down. That for me would be a pleasant surprise. But for example, on the other end of that spectrum, if I walked, if I walked into a class and it was warmer than I expected, and there were like weights involved, or you know, thirty sun A's, I think I'd be rip shit. And I know that the me ten years ago would have had a hard time leaving if it made me uncomfortable. Sure, sure, sure. That's the thing about descriptions that can be useful is it can just be somewhat orienting. Um, and I, I mostly think of its importance in terms of like the quote unquote up leveling. Well, that's, but that's also the context you know? in which I um, think about it. Like I, I have no qualms having people show up to a class and it being slower and yeah. gentler than uh, they expected, but I, it would be very different if I was teaching something, you know, super vigorous. But like, also the thing is, is that I realize that I can give people, I can still give people things that like, the class isn't all walking around doing weird oscillations with the feet and you know, flapping your arms and, and rolling around on the floor. Like we did that. And then, and, and then we went like pretty fully into an exploration of Dhanurasana and, and, and Chalabhasana and everything, uh, that could possibly be related to that. So there's i think the interesting thing is figuring out oh i can i can just use the typical shapes to give people enough familiarity to like hang with the class and and that can be the the touch touchstone um as opposed to needing it to be like sun salutation oriented in a particular way um um But yeah, it, that makes sense. But it's also interesting, like, if there weren't, um, like, if I weren't still practicing postures that we consider to be part of the typical canon, um, that would be really interesting. I don't really see that happening anytime soon. But right now it's kind of a nice sweet spot because I'm doing all sorts of weird things where... I guess I guess there is an increase over the past few years of the amount of time I spend just like palpating in my own practice. Palpation. Um, <laughs> Love that word. It's a great word, and I find it much more useful than than rolling around on all of the various balls and implements that people do these days. Oh, I love those. I like those too, but only as palpation tools, not as like, I'm going to punish my tissues. Mm, yeah. Which is the attitude with which most yep. folks tend to. Yeah. The whole foam roller thing. I am going to fuck my shit up. <laughs> um, but anyways, um, what else, Kate? I don't know. Yoga's weird. It's getting weirder. It is. There's lots of new new things afoot in Boston. I know. 
I know. And it uh, makes me even more sure that the entire context needs to be shifted. What do you mean? Hmm? What? Um, well, let me, so if I just speak for what I'm practicing, I think to a certain extent, though not perfectly, what I find really helpful in my own practice is far better suited to a place that was more focused around meditation and dharma and um, uh, those practices. Um, now, of course, many places that teach those practices have a fairly negative view of, or a fairly elementary view of, of the possibilities within Hatha Yoga. But it's very clear in my own practice that I wouldn't be able to practice asana the way that I practice asana if I didn't have a Buddhist practice. And I wouldn't be able to practice Buddhist practice the way that I practice Buddhist practice if I didn't have a Hatha Yoga practice. They're very, very inter interwoven. Mm-hmm. Um, and as my friend Fez was saying, like Hatha Yoga is already a fairly liberal interpretation of what typical traditional meaning pre-modern pastoral um, yoga uh, is. Um, and so trying to have some context in which, uh, well, in, in my own practice, I already have some context. Uh, I already have set the context in which both of those things are seen as having equal footing and equal value. Um, and in fact, aren't really all that different in my mind. Um, um, but I'm just recognizing that if that's the way that I'm going to practice and if I've lost the ability to put on the, um, facade of modern, most modern postural yoga, um, then I have to get a lot better at setting up the context in a really brief and succinct way so that there's some sort of clarity that uh, clarity on what I'm valuing in the practice. And yeah. And therefore what I'm, what I'm actually trying to teach. Cause I do want to, I do want people to be able, like I went to a, cl a class on that opening week of, of, the pre-opening week of, of Boston Yoga Union, which is the new studio in Boston. Um, and uh, with with Andrew Futopoulos, um, who's a great teacher, uh, and one of her heavy influences uh, was the uh, uh, Anisara world. Um, I don't know if she still calls any of her classes by that name, but it's certainly very evident that, that that's that's a lot of what um, she studied and definitely still is connected with Desiree Rumba, who obviously was a big proponent of that method before it all fell apart. And like, it was so interesting to me because it was the first time in a really long while that I've been in a class where it was so 
clear that like getting into the poses was the main um was the main um intention and it wasn't like there wasn't other intention it was just had sort of filtered to the top and like i did poses in that class that i haven't done in five years and so there was something enjoyable about that to just be like oh i used to be able to do this i don't know that i'm gonna be able to do this again oh look i can do this so, what was it oh uh thinking specifically about uh ekka hastapujasana um ah. Yeah, leg over the shoulder, straight leg, uh, other leg, straight arm balance. Um, and, you know, and it was, it was great. Um, but And, and in no way, like, antithetical to the way that I practice. Like, it was quite congruent to the way I practice. It was just clear to me that the, the, the intention of doing the poses and going further into the poses um, was much higher on the, on the, on the value scale than, than where I tend to place it. Um, and, and that's fine. And I think, I honestly feel like in their own way, based on their own ability, if, if anyone starts to go down a, the, the winding road of a yoga practice, there will be some period of time where fancy, complex, compound postures will be of interest to them. Um, and I don't think that we should de degrade that. Um, but then I also think the clarity there should be some clarity around and some honesty around like I value you doing fancier poses I'm going to teach you fancier poses or I don't really care about that or there's a time and a place for that like there is just there there could be and, and I by no means I'm doing this perfectly like no by no means I'm doing this perfectly and there are a million times where I start to say things and I go into the old habit like today when I was instructing Dhanurasana there was a moment where it went from using Dhanurasana to become more aware of particular aspects of the body to where I shifted into the like now we're gonna do a really big back bend like it, it was just so clear and I like, couldn't turn it off. Like once I shifted <laughs> into that mode, I was like, I don't, this is not actually the purpose of doing this, but, but here I am and I'm instructing them to go deeper into the pose and they're going deeper into the pose. So they have the ability, but is that really what I, was yeah, that really you... my intention in doing the posture or is this serving to give them sort of some like final release after hearing me? talk over and over again about trying to do the pose differently and now they're able to like do the thing that they're familiar with now so like is it positive in that like the, all of this was going on in the back of my head in I... the course of like two seconds too. yes <laughs> yep so you know it, it it's just um but i don't i don't know many places where the conversation is being had 
I don't really know of any places where the conversation is being had in any sort of a formalized way, or rather I should say an institutional way, because certainly there's some formality to having the conversation with, with colleagues and, and in a like just friendly way. Um, but I think I think there's a um, a lot of what's at work is like if those conversations would ha- were to be had openly among, at least amongst teachers, but hopefully amongst students, and in a way that wasn't like your side's bad or your side's bad or this side's bad or that side's bad or you know we should never post yoga poses online or we should always post it you know this just gets to be this like ping pong but actually like okay well what what are we valuing as practitioners that if we were really to have those conversations out um that there's a fear of of it being that we would come to the conclusion of certain things being fraudulent. Mm-hmm. I think that's what underlies the whole thing. And a Someone, fear of, yeah, a fear of somebody getting called out as not as truly, not only not belonging but doing something, but lying. Chicanery. Mm-hmm. Or, or on an institutional level, a fear of not having anything to market. Like if the honest answer to what is this yoga that you're practicing is, I don't know, but here's a couple ideas and here's why I find it valuable. That's not a great marketing strategy. It's not? <laughs> no, because then the second it becomes a marketing strategy, it it loses any authenticity that is behind it. Yeah. I think that's one of my, I had a conversation, very brief one with somebody that's in marketing and they were talking to me about my marketing as a yoga teacher and they didn't know that I work for a marketing company. Yeah. And, um, they were like, I could help you with this stuff. <laughs> oh. And I was like, don't thank you. I was like, I'm sure you could. Uh, but sure I have, you, I, you know, I have intentionally withdrawn my senses from that area uh, because I don't wish to participate in quite that way right now. Yeah. Because I know what it might do to my teaching practice and I have a limited number of hours in the day and I believe that that work is uh, work that um, is important if you're using it to build a business and I am I guess it's painful to say but I am not building a business with my teaching yeah. And then I say that and I'm like, but is that true? You're teaching a whole bunch and you're doing teacher trainings and you want people to come to them. How is that not a business? Well, I think I think that's what, that's what um 
Jay sometimes talks about in his podcast about um, uh, uh, building a business versus just sort of owning your job. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not looking, you know what it is? I'm not, I'm not seeking that type of growth. I'm seeking. Yeah. But again, that's a luxury I have because I have chosen to do other work. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, see, man, you, this is a troubling conversation. I just don't think I don't think it's true that as soon as you market it it becomes disingenuous. I do think that as soon as it's uttered it's changed. As soon yeah. as it's observed it's changed. And so therefore if I believe those two things I have to believe that as soon as it's marketed it's shifted. Yeah. I I have to believe that. I just don't know that I believe to the extent or the quality with which the shifting can be measured as universally bad or undesirable. I do seem to see that more than we see a positive uptick. I mean, what would be wrong with someone going out there and saying, like, being really clear that, like, I'm, like, I'll say this about the retreat uh, day this weekend at Bow Street. I really think that the retreat day is valuable. I think that the concentration um, and continuity of practice that having periodic retreat days builds is uh uh, can be really helpful and really um, uh, um, valuable. But I also uh, will say in the same breath that part of the reason why I do those retreats uh, is because I don't want to do teacher training and I need to figure out some way to make up that income. Both things are true. And like, like, I, you know, if I didn't have to make money, would I be teaching this much? No, not at all. I would much rather practice, like, twice as much as I get to practice now. Um, I love teaching. I'm never going to stop teaching. But, um, you know, fundamentally... I, 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 I enjoy practicing. Um, and there was just some like random series of events that has allowed, that got me in at the right time so that I am afforded the opportunity to teach as much as I am. But, um, you know, I have to both balance the fact that and be honest about the fact that like a lot of the things that I do with the studio and then I do with my own teaching is really just to make money because it has to be um, and so when I'm quote unquote marketing something which I do a really shitty job of most of the time um, it, I have to I have to somehow be transparent that like this could be a really valuable experience for folks like we're going to have um uh, a good time practicing together and you know this is this is partially there to keep the keep the doors of the studio open and the food on my plate period 
Um, Because otherwise, I would have the retreat day. It would cost, like, a nominal amount of money, and we would just... And I wouldn't necessarily teach anything. We would... I would just hold space and keep time. And... Yes. (laughs) And and people would practice, you know. Um, (laughs) But no, I'm going to prepare something, and we're going to teach something. We're also going to have a lot of practice together, and... and, um, um, but yeah, if it, if it wasn't partially about the money, I think the really supportive thing would be to take, to just take that time and have a group of people practicing together. Yeah. Um, so. Well, you kind of set my head spinning a little bit in a good way. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I um, our passion does not have to be our work. If we're lucky, they can intersect. But it's also okay for a passion to just be unremunerated. It's okay, you know. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, I scroll through Instagram and see, like my targeting is so down pat. I think I've seen like 13 yoga ads in the last freaking five minutes. (laughs) Like four of them I made. Um, you clicked the code. Uh, so, um, I'll have to come visit you. I want to um, check out the new studio. I think, I think, just as I predicted with bookstores, the same thing is going to happen to yoga studios. We're going to see a turn back to the independent model. Yeah. Um, and it's because it's going to be demanded. Yeah. Um. In the meantime, whew, exciting stuff. Sorry if I sent your head spinning too far. Yeah, no, it's all right. It's all right. Um, Also, it's going to take some time to recover because I feel like I'm running at like 20% capacity currently in in my brain, you know? I mean, I'm I'm kind of there too, but that was just because I, I taught. Taught a double header? A double header. Well, and that Berkeley class is two hours long, so. Oh, oh, there you go. And there's probably some aspect of my brain that's like preserving what energy is left for. For, for what's to come. For what's to come this evening. So, <laughs> so on that note, this has been unrolled, and uh, if it's been a while, thank you for tuning back in with us. We're in a season right now, both of us, where uh, we've got more on our than I think we've ever possibly had or we've had in a while and um, recording happens a lot less frequently but we're still here in spirit yeah since grad school actually I have not taught this much Um, yeah yeah uh, and it's um, it's good I feel like um, 
but as with most things, and I'll, I'll be moderately Ayurvedic with you for a moment, um, uh, this this is a calculated pitta burn. Yes. And it will have to <laughs> dissipate come September. <laughs> so... <laughs> We're just oh. gonna get. We're just gonna. We're just gonna get. Get on. Get on through. We're gonna get then, through it. And then. And then regroup. <laughs> yeah, and I think mine will end sometime in like 2032. So oh, fantastic! Is that when Frankie goes to college? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I haven't done the math on that. Uh, nine, 20, no, like 37. Okay. Good God. Okay, I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna go cry in the bathroom. Fantastic. It's a perfect um, place to cry. <laughs> hey, if you have any questions for us, if you have any comments, shoot us an email, find us on Facebook, uh, subscribe, give us some stars. We're Our email is uh, unrolledpodcast at gmail.com. And that, that's usually the quickest way to hear a response from us, I'd say. Um, yeah. The, the 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 guinea pig just got off the wheel. Ryan, save me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. <laughs>